Well, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here at Westbridge, and it's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you watching online, uh, also those in our parent viewing room. That's a great option if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, man, what an exciting day. Yesterday, we had about 44 guys uh, riding 100 miles and uh, raising money for both Venture, our, one of our global partners, as well as Legacy to Inspire, which is a, a local partner here that's birthed out of uh, uh, someone right here from Westbridge. And uh, going around and helping kids in our local community. And so to be able to support both of those organizations is such a cool thing. And a huge shout out to all those guys and uh, all of those people that were a, a part of that and participating in that and supporting that. Uh, couldn't, couldn't be more grateful. Uh, we are in this series that we started uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I just want to give you right up front the, the kind of the theme verse from this series that's called You Matter. And uh, the reason that you matter is because you matter to God. And that, that's kind of one of the motivating uh, ideas behind why we do what we do is because you matter to God. And if you matter to God, then you should matter to us. And so there's this verse that kind of has been the theme through this whole series. It's one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples. And here it is. Jesus is walking with his disciples and he says this, I will build my church and not even death will be able to overcome it. I will build my church. I will build a, a gathering. The word church is the word a, a gathering or a, or a group or a movement of people around this idea that Jesus is God's son come to earth to reveal God's love to us. And Jesus said, I'm going to build a group of people around that very idea and death won't be able to stop it. Meaning that generations will come and generations will go, but this thing will continue to move forward and build steam and build momentum because this is what Jesus promised. It's an incredible prophecy. Jesus predicted us. He predicted you and me. We are the fulfillment of this prophecy. And uh, that's why you matter. And that's why church matters, because you and I are the church. And so if you missed any of the weeks of this, uh, very, week one, we said this, uh, that um, Paul talked about being a, you're a part of the body of Christ, but if you're a disconnected body part, that's gross. So don't be gross. That's what, that's what we talked about for the first week. Lean in, be a part of the mission uh, because you're a part of the body of Christ and, and we're not complete without you. And then last week, we talked about the fact that your serving matters and that if you love the idea of a Westbridge church in this community and in this area, then uh, let's move from, I love the idea and, and the concept of it to how do I get personally involved? And I would encourage you, if you missed either of those weeks, go back and check those out online. And if there's something that you want to say yes to, uh, a serving team, uh, I'd encourage you to put that on your connection card. Grab that connection card, write on it. Here's what I'm interested in. And we want to help you get plugged in and get involved here at Westbridge. And there's a couple of areas in particular, as we head into three services two weeks from today, uh, where we want to make sure that we're fully staffed with volunteers. And that's in our elementary ages and our kids check-in. Elementary ages, kids check in. We could use a few more volunteers in those areas going, man, I'm available and uh, I'll make myself available because I want to be a part of the mission of this church. And so if you'd uh, be interested in finding a serving team, those are one of the best places to jump in. Now, today uh, we're in week three of this series, You Matter. We're going to wrap this up next week. But uh, today we're going to talk about the fact that your generosity matters. It, it matters for God's church to continue to move forward and it matters for your own faith to grow. And so I want you to hear me say something today. Uh, it's not bad to be rich at all. In fact, sometimes that's the message that comes through from churches is like, give everything away and live in a van down by the river. And that's not at all the message that you find in the scriptures. That's never what Jesus teaches. In fact, Jesus would say this, it's not bad to be rich. 
but so many are bad at being rich. It's not bad to be rich. It's just that so many people are bad at it. And the fact that you live in the United States of America in the season that we live in, the United States is the wealthiest nation that has ever lived. That means you're rich. If you rode in a car sometime in the last month, you're rich. If you had a Starbucks, you're rich, right? If you will eat more than once today, that means you're pretty rich. If you own more than uh, one pair of pants, you're pretty rich. If, if you are able to go to your sink and your faucet and you turn it and clean water comes out, you're rich. These are things that many people in the world don't have access to. You are rich. And it's really difficult for rich people to follow Jesus. Not because it's bad to be rich, but because so many are bad at being rich. And just to let you know, I'm very aware of the perception that many people have that this is what the church is all about. Like, oh man, I invited a friend today. I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. They're talking about money. But here's the reality, okay? Every single weekend here at Westbridge, we talk about what the scriptures teach people to do in different arenas of life. We go, here's what Jesus teaches, and we present it, and then we let you do what you want to do with it. And however you respond is between you and God. Our job is to present the scriptures. Here's how you can apply this to your life. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then whatever you do with that is between you and God. And you might say, man, that is a bunch of garbage. I don't want to do that. And you can come back next week, and we want you here. Whatever, however you respond is between you and God. Also, you need to know this. We never teach on this topic, specifically the topic of money and generosity, from a position of desperation. Uh, I just want you to know that right up front. This is not like, you know, sometimes churches go, all right, guys, we need you to give or we're going to close the doors in six weeks. This is not that. We have never been more healthy as a church. And our goal with that is to say, look, we don't want something from you. We just think God wants something for you. And so my job is to teach what the scriptures say and then put it into your hands and let you do what you want to do with it. And what you do with it and how you respond to it is totally between you and God. That's what we do every single week here. And uh, since the scriptures actually have a lot to say about how we handle money, we're going to take the same approach to that topic as well. And we think that the scriptures have a lot of wisdom when it comes to how we handle our finances. Now, if you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you're just exploring faith in Jesus and trying to figure out what this whole God thing is all about, uh, my prayer is that you'll find today inspiring because we are going to address one of the most confusing and misunderstood and sometimes even abused topics in Christianity, but we're going to do it in a healthy way without guilt and without manipulation. And if you are a follower of Jesus, but you haven't really put the practice of generosity uh, as a habit in your life, this is not a place for you to feel guilty. But it is a place for you to hopefully respond in obedience once you realize what Jesus teaches. And I sincerely believe, based on both the scriptures and my own experience, that you will discover that God's instructions on how to handle our money will actually provide you with a couple of things. First, you'll experience the joy that comes from being generous. And secondly, you'll experience the peace that comes with living with margin and living open-handed and recognizing he's really the one that provides everything. And so here's what Jesus teaches about money. Jesus says this, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, I know what you're thinking, man, if so-and-so were here, they really need to hear this message on greed. This is one of those things that is so easy to see in other people and so difficult to see in ourselves, right? And greed is the inability to be satisfied with what God has given us. And so I'm always uh, reaching for more and striving for more. And Jesus says, you, you got to beware. 
You've got to guard yourself against that because it's very easy for us, particularly in the, the nation that we live in, in the era that we live in, it's very easy for us to buy into the myth that that's what, that's what makes our life valuable, that somehow our self-worth is attached to our net worth. It's easy for us to buy into that. And one of the worst things that can happen is that we would actually spend a lifetime pursuing that and achieve it only to realize at the end of our lives that it doesn't actually satisfy. It doesn't actually promise. Uh, it doesn't deliver on what it promised. And so Jesus brings the topic of greed and generosity right to the forefront of his teachings. And in fact, the value of generosity is one of the most talked about topics in all of the scriptures. When you think about uh, the topics of faith and hope and love, generosity is talked about more than any of those things combined. You might be surprised how many times each of these things are mentioned in the scriptures. Uh, faith comes up 246 times. Hope, 185 times. Love, 733 times. Generosity, 2,285 times. That's a lot of emphasis on generosity. In fact, you could probably accurately say that the story throughout the scriptures is a story of generosity. And that's because of the other values of faith and hope and love are often expressed through our generosity. And it's important to note the scriptures never say that Christianity is an anti-material religion. Never says that. Christianity is not anti-stuff. It's not calling you to a minimalist lifestyle. In fact, there are many places in the scriptures where it talks about how God loves to bless people with good things for their enjoyment. That's really healthy. But in almost every passage of scripture where it's expressed that God has given us good things to enjoy, there's also a warning that comes along with it. It often says things like this, enjoy these things, but don't get obsessed with them. Enjoy these things, but always recognize that they come from the hand of God. Enjoy these things, but make sure you don't worship them. Enjoy these things, but don't let your values and your priorities get out of whack. Enjoy these things, but don't make them the main pursuit of your life. Make sure that there's priorities that stay in the right order. In other words, pay attention, guard yourselves against every kind of greed. And so whether you're in a place in life where you're making more cheddar than you ever have before, or you're broke as a joke, uh, these principles will apply, okay? So I wanna give us two mindsets around money. And so here's what we're gonna go through today. We are gonna talk about uh, pizza, Skittles, apples, and buckets. Okay, fair? Cool, all right, here we go. Scarcity versus abundance. These are the mindsets that people have when it comes to money. The idea is that there's a scarcity mindset and there's an abundance mindset. A scarcity mindset is that there is never gonna be enough. And so when we live with that mindset, we have to live like this with our fists closed because we're, we gotta hang on to whatever comes our way. So however much that is, whatever comes our way, we, we kinda grab for it and hold on to it. We wanna make sure because we're worried we won't have enough. So I got an elbow to the front and I gotta make sure I get mine, right? The abundance mindset says there's more than enough. There's always more than enough. I can live open-handed because I actually believe there is a God who is bigger than me. He owns it all and he takes care of me. He'll provide for what I need. Not always what I want, but he always provides for my needs. Now, there's a couple of ways to think about this. One is pizza night as a kid, okay? This is the scarcity mindset. When I was growing up, Four kids, two parents, six people in the house. We did pizza night every Friday. And I can tell you, every Friday, I lived with a scarcity mindset. 
because I would do the math. My mom would make two pans of pizza and I'm sitting here doing the math. I'm going, okay, that's X amount of pieces divided, you know, six people. And so I would be like on my second piece of pizza and I'm like eyeing my brother, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm about two thirds of the way in. He's about, you know, halfway done. If I eat a little bit faster, I can get that last piece before he does. That's a scarcity mindset. I got to get mine. Or every once in a while, we'd actually order from Domino's and I'd hear my mom on the phone and she'd be like, yeah, we're going to get the medium. And I'm like, mom, medium, come on. Family size, always family size. What are you doing? <laughs> and it's the scarcity mindset. Like I, I was so worried that I'm not going to get enough pizza that I had to figure out ways to like make sure I got mine. That is called a scarcity mindset. Here's another way to look at it. When my kids were younger, uh, we had, you know, my, my daughters before we had the, the boys, my two oldest girls, and uh, we would take them to a movie, bought them some candy, got them a package of Skittles, right? And gave them to my daughter, and she's probably five years old, and so excited, got Skittles. We're going to go see, I'm sure, some animated feature. And uh, I'll just never forget this. Uh, I gave her a pack of Skittles, and then she's opening them, she's eating them, and I go, hey, can I have one of those? And she goes, no, they're mine. And I'm like, hold on, I just bought those. How are they yours? Hold time out here. So here's a couple of things that she had forgotten at five years old that maybe she needed to learn along the way. Uh, number one, she's not really the owner of the Skittles. I am. I, I entrusted them to her, but those are actually mine. Secondly, if I wanted to, I could bury her in Skittles and make her eat her way out. <laughs> right? Like, it, it, as far as your five-year-old world is concerned, I am the infinite source of all Skittles in your life. I could give you more Skittles than you would know what to do with. And this is oftentimes the mindset that we carry with us into adulthood, this scarcity mindset. Do I have the mindset that God will provide all that I need? And, and some of you, you still live like it's family pizza night. You still live like you, you, these are the last Skittles that you're ever going to get in your life. And you're worried that you're not going to get yours. But here's what I've learned about an abundance mindset. It has nothing to do with how much is there. It's about how stressed we are in our own minds. Because God always has plenty. You can have plenty and still be stressed. You can be at the golden corral and still worry that you're not going to get the dessert that you wanted. When in reality, you could probably swim in their chocolate fountain and nobody would say a word. Do you know that we actually get the word miserable from the word miser? A, a miser is someone who hoards all their stuff. They live closed-fisted and, and they hold on to everything they have and, and they spend as little as possible, which means you could actually be very wealthy and still be miserable when you live like a miser. It's all about mindset. And so here's three different kind of perspectives when it comes to actually being generous, having an abundance mindset, and living open-handed and with generosity. Now, some people get taught this first mindset, which is this, this first sort of uh, perspective on generosity. Well, I got to give. And maybe this is a church culture that you grew up in where it's like, you got to give because otherwise God's going to be mad at you and you're going to fall under a curse. And it's just like heavy handed. And you're like, well, I got to give because I don't want God to be mad at me. I don't want to get punished by God for not being generous. And what ends up happening is that you give, but you do it reluctantly and you kind of build resentment in your heart and it's out of obligation because you've been manipulated. And you know what's scary? That actually works. And it works when you make people feel guilty and you take verses out of context and then you shame and manipulate people. And people go, oh, well, I, I don't need God being mad at me, so I guess I'll write a check. 
And for some of you, that's your background. And I totally understand if that's the culture you came out of, why you would keep God and church and the idea of generosity at arm's distance. And maybe you've even leaned in a little bit to that scarcity mindset as a result because you feel like, man, God just wants something from me. But God doesn't want anything from you, and neither do we. We actually want something for you. We want you to experience the abundance and the joy and the peace that comes with handling things God's way. And for some of you, that's one of the things that you love about Westbridge is that when we talk about this, we don't use a heavy-handed approach and we don't use guilt and nobody's up here going, man, streets of gold ain't going to pave themselves. So maybe you're thinking, sweet, no guilt. It's fantastic. But it hasn't actually increased your generosity at all. It's just removed your guilt. You're like, man, I love the fact that they don't use guilt, which means I don't ever have to be generous and I'll never feel guilty about it. And that's not healthy or helpful for you either. And so some of you uh, fall into this other category. This is another uh, perspective on giving. I give to get. This one takes a master's degree in manipulation, right? It's, it's where you take principles from the scriptures and you take them out of context and things, things like this. Uh, you reap what you sow. Uh, the cup I use will be poured out and measured to me. Uh, God will multiply my generosity. And what we end up doing with this type of a mindset is just like, well, God is going to bless me. If, if I'm generous, then he'll bless me. So I'm just going to give to get. And really what we're doing is we're treating generosity like some kind of boomerang. Uh, when I throw it out there, it's going to come back to me, right? And so God, I could really use a hundred bucks. So I'm going to shoot 10 to you. And then I'm going to go sit by the mailbox and wait for that hundo to come back. And if that's the case, if that's our approach to it, and some churches teach that, we take these principles, which are not promises, they're principles. A principle means, generally speaking, this is how life works. And when we try to turn principles into promises, and then we say, well, God, I got to hold your feet to the fire on this because, you know, this is a promise from you. And then we try to hack God, and we're using manipulation for our own benefit. And when you give with that perspective, just so that hopefully God will give you something back in return, you're not really even being generous. You're just trying to look generous. And when you, get, when you give to get, uh, whether that's a financial blessing or you feel like, man, if I just give, then I'm in good standing with God, then your motive is twisted and it's not really generosity at all. It's living with a scarcity mindset and still trying to work the system to make you feel like I'm doing whatever I need to do to make sure that I get mine. And neither of these are healthy approaches. The idea that, well, I got to give or God's going to be mad. Or, you know what, I give because then God's going to give back to me more than I give and bless my life. Can I tell you, there are all kinds of people all around the world who are incredibly generous with what God has entrusted to them, and, they, and they're not incredibly wealthy. And it hasn't resulted in a, a tenfold, you know, multiplied generosity in their lives. But they just continue to be generous with what God's entrusted to them. They're investing something in eternity. And so here's really a healthy mindset. I get to give. I get to give. Uh, it's a privilege. It's an opportunity because of how much God has entrusted to me. Not I got to give or I give to, uh, to, to get, but no, I get to give. Every good and perfect thing I have comes from God. He is the owner of it all. He simply entrusted it to me. Everything I own is on loan. I'm really not the owner of any of it. And God is so good. He's been so good to me that I want to share it with others. I want other people to experience what I've experienced. And I want the joy of knowing that I've invested in something that has eternal significance. And God has always proven himself to provide for all my needs. And so I want to live with this abundance mindset. I want to give. I want to be generous. And so here's what Jesus says. He, go back to this story. Beware. 
Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Life is not measured by how much you own. If only we understood that better as Americans. We spend a lot of money on things that we don't need to impress people that we don't even like. And here's what happens. Jesus, in response to this, he's, he's giving them a principle and then he really wants to drive the point home. So then he tells them a story. And here's the story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? He's got a problem. I don't have room for all my crops. So Jesus tells this story. It's a sad story. A rich man owned so much stuff that his storage bin became full and he became sad. My bank is so full. Can you imagine this? Guys, my bank is so full. I, I just, yeah, I got the notice you never want to get from your bank. We are no longer able to federally insure your money because you have too much. It's past what we can federally insure. You have so much money that you've reached the maximum amount. You're going to have to find another bank for the rest of your money. I mean, can you imagine bringing that prayer request to your small group this week? Guys, oh, I'm so bummed. Please pray for me. It's so, so sad. I, I don't know what to do. Wells Fargo called. And they said, You're, we can't take any more of your money. So I had to open another account at U.S. Bank. I'm in a different tax bracket now. Please pray for me. Can you imagine? So he just says, man, I don't have room enough for all my crops. And so Jesus continues with the story. And he says, this is what the man said. I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Answer, somebody else. You can't take any of it with you when you go, but you can send it on ahead. When you invest in things that have eternal significance, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will follow. And so the truth is, this guy represents a complete and total loss because he didn't take any of it. He, he, he spent his whole life accumulating, but he didn't send any of it ahead. And here's what Jesus says in response at the end of the story. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, this isn't a story about a guy who is bad because he's rich. It's a story about a guy who's bad at being rich. This is a story about God being grieved by greed. It's a story about someone who decided that they were entitled instead of recognizing everything they had had been entrusted. And the problem with this guy was that he was a pool and not a pipe. Everything came to him, but he ne never let anything go through him. He never gave any of it away. He never invested in eternity. And the truth is, God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. He wants you to experience the abundance of living a life free from greed because he knows that when you trust him, you have a rich relationship with him. And so when it comes to this idea of giving, here's the wrong question to ask. The wrong question is this. Do I have enough to give? God, I just, okay, let me see if I have enough and then I'll give. It's the wrong question to ask. That's how many of us approach generosity. We think we just don't have enough to be generous. And we think, God, if you would just give me more, then I would be generous. But all the studies show that that is not the case. The most generous people are people who just make it a habit and a practice, regardless of how much has been entrusted. And did you know statistics tell us the average American spends $1.18 for every dollar they make? Now, I'm not great at math, but that feels like a problem. 
That doesn't seem like a long-term uh, formula for success. And a lot of us are like this, oh man, God, I, I, I really want to be generous. I really want to live open-handed, but I've kind of, I've committed a dollar and 18 out of every dollar I make. So if you could just bring in more and get me to a dollar 19, that extra penny is yours. I mean, I'm bringing that back to you. And that's all you. So God, get busy with that 119, and then I can be generous. Uh, it, it's kind of like these apples that I brought today. And uh, I'm going to warn you, I got more props than Carrot Top this morning. God provides apples, right? God is the owner of it all. And some people, he gives one apple, and some people, he gives five apples, and some people, he gives a whole orchard. But here's what's amazing about an apple. When you cut into it, what do you get? Seeds. And this is the principle of the apple, is that this apple for me, I can consume this apple, and for me, it's a meal. But if I take this seed and I plant it, it becomes a miracle. I don't know why it works. I don't know why you can take this and drop it into dirt and get an apple tree. I don't know how that works, but it works. It's a miracle. It's the way God designed things to work. Now, it doesn't take away from what God's provided for me. The apple still becomes a meal for me. But if I choose to take the seeds from that and I plant it before I consume, it becomes a miracle for someone else. It becomes a whole apple tree. Uh, I, I can take these seeds that are planted. Now, it doesn't mean every seed that's ever planted bursts into an apple tree. But if I don't plant the seed, it'll never happen. And so what becomes a meal for me can become a miracle for someone else and provide for so many other people. And what God's asking us to do is to plant before we consume. And God's not saying, give all your apples away. God's just saying, I want you to plant before you consume. It's a miracle. I want to start by planting some of my resources. God, I don't want to consume everything you give me. I don't just want to eat all the apples. I, I pray that you would give me more than a meal for me, but that you would make this a miracle for others. And I'm not going to worry about counting my apples. I'm just going to be generous. How do you like them apples? And the right question is not, okay, God, do I have enough to give? Here's the right question. Do I trust God with what I have? However much I have, however many apples I've been given, do I trust God with what I have? Do I trust him enough to give back to him out of what he's entrusted to me? Now, another way to look at it is this. And again, I warned you, I've got a lot of props today. So here we go. Apples, we'll set these apples aside. And... Uh, Try not to drop them here. Another way to think about this, all of us have these buckets. These buckets are the different buckets that we have in life. Uh, some of us have an emergency fund so that when the car breaks down or an appliance goes out or, you know, that mouse chews through your wires, uh, you know, you've got uh, something to, to help you with that. And then we've got, uh, some of us have this bucket. It's a debt bucket. We're trying to get rid of that bucket, but some of us have it. We've got, all of us have a living bucket, and then uh, there's a future bucket, right? This is like savings, and uh, some of us are trying to pay down some debt. Maybe it's, maybe it's school debt, maybe it's uh, something else, uh, car debt, house debt, whatever it is, and you're trying to pay some of that down. And then we've got this future bucket, that's savings, and then we've got this 911, this is the emergency fund. And then all of us also have this giving bucket. And that's okay. That's, not a, that's a proportional size. Again, God is not asking you to make this the size of these. God is simply saying, look, this is a giving bucket, and there's different things that we all have, different priorities. Now, here's, here's kind of the American way is that we tend to fill up this bucket, the debt bucket. 
And then we struggle at the living bucket. We struggle with the future bucket. We struggle with this bucket. We definitely struggle with the giving bucket because this bucket's become so much. And so we go, God, if you could give me more, then I could pay this down and then I could be generous. What we need to do, what, what wisdom says is lower this bucket, lower my cost of living, whatever I have to do to do that, so that I can pay this down and get rid of it. Now, that has nothing to do with being generous. That's just wisdom that creates margin in your life, that gives you peace. So do, do whatever you can to do that. Now, once we do that, here's what we do. Wisdom would say, now I'm going to fill up this bucket to a certain level so that when the car breaks down and an appliance breaks down, I don't have to refill the debt bucket and put things on a credit card. I can actually have something there to help me when those emergencies come up. And I'm not refilling the debt bucket. So now here's what we've got. We've got this, right? These are, these are the buckets. We've got our living bucket and our future bucket, and we've got our giving bucket. Now here's how most of us tend to live. It's just natural in our society. Living first. If there's any leftover, once we pay the bills and, you know, we, you know, clothing and food and shelter and all the basics and, you know, maybe some entertainment, some extras, if there's any leftover after that, we might put some in savings. And then if there's any leftover after that, then it's like, well, God, I mean, I gotcha. I'm going to give you out of what I have left over. Now, here's, here's what's amazing in the scriptures. Never does God say, no, I want this to be as big as these other ones. That is never what God teaches because he knows we have to live and function and there's parts of this that are important and necessary. All God asks us to do is to reverse the order. All God's asking us to do is to go, look, before you consume, why not consider giving and then put some in savings and then live on the rest? In fact, every time that we talk about this at Westbridge Church, this is a principle that we talk about every single time. Give, save, live. Give, save, live, give, save, live, give, save, live. We talk about this, we hammer it home because it is the most basic principle when it comes to not only generosity, but peace. In fact, we do this with our own kids. We've, we practice this in our own family. Uh, our kids practice this every time, you know, regardless of the jobs that they have, they practice this. And here's what we tell them. 10, 10, 80. 10, 10, 80. 10%. Now, well, why 10%? This is just what throughout the scriptures is taught is that you take 10% off the top out of what God's entrusted to you and you return that as a percentage, as a, a way to worship God. And when you do that, your faith grows and God's church moves forward. And if every person who was a follower of Jesus did that, then the, the joy that it would take, that it would give you, the, the freedom you'd experience and what we'd be able to do as a church, all of those things would be incalculable. I'm just telling you, if every follower of Jesus just decided, I'm gonna do that. And here's the reality. I don't know what the key is to 10%. I don't know why the scriptures do that. Maybe it's the exact right percentage needed to keep greed from growing in our hearts. But over and over again, this is the model. And then what if you took the next 10% and you put it into savings? And then you said, I'm gonna live on that 80%. Here's what you'd experience. Incredible joy that comes from generosity and incredible peace that comes from not being stressed because you've built some margin into your life. And you live on the rest. You go, I'm funding God's kingdom. My faith in God is growing. And I'm also have some savings. So there's some margins. So I have peace. And, and then I'm living on the rest. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. 10, 10, 80. And I'm telling you, if you live this way, it's one of the most basic teachings in the scriptures. Now, here's what's awesome about this. The miracle is in the mission. Sorry, this, uh, forgot to read this. Proverbs 3, 9 uh, says this. You can go back to that verse. 
Proverbs 3.9 says this, honor God with everything you own, give him the first and the best. That's where we get this principle from, that we reverse the order. We go, you know what? I'm gonna give back to God first before I spend on me. Now, uh, here's what I would say, that the miracle is in the mission, not the margin. The miracle comes from the mission. It doesn't come from the margin. It doesn't come from creating margin. It comes from what you're pointing your money to, the mission. And when you decide to be consistently generous with whatever God has entrusted to you, you are pointing your money toward something and you're giving it a purpose. You're pointing it toward a mission. The true value of your money is the mission that it's pointed to, not how much of it you have left at the end of your life. And when your living bucket happens to expand, and your living bucket happens to grow and you get that raise, you get that promotion, you win the lottery, you get that inheritance from the third great aunt that you didn't know existed. Whatever it is, maybe instead of just going instantly, well, I'm going to grow my standard of living, maybe you say, this is an opportunity for me to continue to grow my standard of giving as well. Because you're generous and you recognize my money is pointed toward a mission. Now, early on in the first century, a guy named Paul started churches, He'd write letters back to churches. And in one letter, he's writing to a pastor in Ephesus named Timothy. And he's talking specifically about how to handle when you have extra. He writes this to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus. Here's what he says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. And we know this is true. You look at the last 20 years in the American economy, up and down and up and down and up and down. And if you put your trust in that uh, it's bound to let you down. So he says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, I think this is probably true about you because I know it's true about me. I want to experience the life that is truly life. I want to experience that. And I'm guessing you want to experience that. I don't want to spend my entire life pointing all of my resources only toward margin and trying to build up a big nest egg when I die and end up with a whole bunch of money left at the end of my life and nothing to show for it. At the end of my life, if all I leave behind is my stuff, then no matter how much stuff I have, it's an empty life. And that's the point of Jesus' story. And that's why Paul urges Timothy to encourage people to point their stuff toward a mission and not just toward margin. Because when you do that, Paul says, it's like you're, it's like you're sending it ahead. It's like you're creating an eternal foundation. It's like you're, you're grasping onto the life that is truly life. Now, here's a couple of things I want us to know as we close. This is important. You're thinking, okay, you don't want something from us, but you want something for us, and uh, it feels like that's kind of the preacher thing to say. Uh, and uh, if the church continues to grow and everybody continues to give, then doesn't the church just profit from that? First of all, you need to know nobody on staff works on commission. That's really important. So, like, that was a good Sunday. Everybody, let's get a bonus this week, all right? Uh, and also, I do not need uh, like a new jet, private jet, for my worldwide international ministry, okay? The old one works fine. It's totally cool. Here's the, here's the reality. I want you to know that this is something that my family and I do. We've done this for the last 25 years. My kids operate this way. I say that because I want you to know we're not teaching you something that I'm not going to lead the way in. I'm never going to ask you to do something that I'm not going to lead the way in and do myself. And I say that because I truly mean this when I say this. We don't need something from you. I want this for you. 
I have experienced the joy and the peace that comes from living this way for the last, you know, 27 years. And I'm just telling you, I, I grew up with this. I talked about this last week. The, the local church taught me to be generous. I've never, ever thought for a second that I had the right to live on 100% of what comes my way. It just never crossed my mind because I was instructed by the local church as a kid that God's the owner of it all and that he can be trusted to provide. And so I've just always lived this way. And I'm telling you, I want you to experience the joy and the peace that comes with living your life this way. And I I say that because uh, we learn from Jesus who taught us that God so loved the world that he gave. I think the whole message of the good news of Jesus is a message of generosity. God so loved you that he gave his son. God is a generous God. That whoever puts their trust in him, whoever believes, whoever acknowledges him as the Lord of their life will not perish or will not be lost to God, but will experience eternal life as a part of God's family. That that when your physical body dies, that you will continue to live as a part of God's family in eternity. And it isn't something you behave your way into or earn your way into. It's because God is generous. God so loved the world. God so loved me and you that he gave his son. And if you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you to do that. And we're going to pray in just a minute. And I want to invite you to say yes to following Jesus. And second, I want to invite you to move your giving bucket to the front of your list when it comes to your money. And point it toward a mission and watch how God will use it to grow your faith. He'll use your generosity to make a difference in your, in, both in the world and in your own heart. And so I, I want to show you the most powerful button on the internet. It's incredible. The most powerful button on the internet right here. It's the give button on the Church Center app. And here's what's amazing. It's powerful. I'm telling you, it's the most powerful because here's what happens. If you will, if you will get a hold of this idea of generosity and you will start to live this out, I promise you it will make a difference in your life. And one of, the, one of the most powerful things you can do if you say, I want to get serious about this, is uh, to set up recurring giving. And just You can go in there and you can say, I want to give one time or I want to set up recurring giving. And that's what we've, we've done that for years and years and years. And every time I get paid, no matter how you get paid, you just go, I want it to automatically be recurring giving because I want to give back to God and I don't want to miss it and I want to be generous. And that is one of the ways that, man, God's church moves forward, but also your faith grows. And on top of that, on your way out today, you're getting a bag of Skittles. Every one of you on your way out today is getting a little bag of Skittles. And here's why. I want you to remember who owns all the Skittles. I want you to take this. Now, it's not so that you can eat it on the way home, right? This is not like a quick sugar fix. I want you to take this little bag of Skittles and I want you to put it on your dresser. I want you to put it in your car. I want you to put it somewhere that you'll see it on a regular basis. And I just want it to be a reminder. God owns all the Skittles. He could bury you alive in Skittles and make you eat your way out. But he's the infinite source of all the Skittles. Everything that you own is because God has given it to you. And what we're taught throughout the scriptures is that when we return a portion back to God, what happens is we, it, re, it, it breaks our reliance on our stuff and it, and it helps us to put our dependence on God. So every time I give, it's a declaration. God, I'm dependent on you. I'm not dependent on my stuff. I'm dependent on you. I'm not dependent on my bank account. I'm dependent on you. I'm not dependent on my net worth. And this is just a simple reminder that hopefully you'll remember the story, the Skittles story, and you'll go, 
yeah, God's the owner of all the Skittles. And it will remind us to actively be generous. Now, uh, he's entrusted this to you so you can be generous. And I want to help us do that. If you've never said yes to following Jesus, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And if you're ready to take that step and make giving a priority, I want to encourage you to do that as well. Let's pray together. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I have walked away from you, and I'm so grateful that you never walk away from me. And so uh, I just pray yes to your invitation. I believe that God so loved me that he gave. And if this is true, that this is a generous God who gives of his own son to the world to show me how much he loves me, then I want to say yes to that invitation. So make me your son, make me your daughter, and help me to put my trust in you and to follow your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. I acknowledge you as the leader of my life. And God, I pray for every single one of us who are following you. And God, I, I pray that we would understand following you means obeying the things that you ask us to do. And so may we live generous lives. May we develop an abundance mindset. May we recognize that everything we have comes from you. And you've entrusted it to us so that we can be generous to others. And in that process, we want to make this declaration. Our dependence is on you, not on our stuff. And as we are generous, may we continue to move your kingdom forward here in this community. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.